Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, one 866 Exciting the day after the election to go over the results, especially when so much is still up in the air. There was not a red wave, that's safe to say. Uh, but we will do have to drill down and see uh, who's going to have the balance of power in the House and the Senate still uh, maybe 16 hours from when the polls closed. Marsha Blackburn's coming up in 12 minutes. David Bell- Bellavia is going to be with us, too the only living Medal of Honor recipient from the Iraq War for his actions in Fallujah. His book is fantastic. They're doing a movie on it. David Bellavia will be with us. We'll talk a little about what's happening with Ukraine. But first things first, the House looks like it's going to go to Republicans. It's not certain, but it looks like it. So much up for balance because people, uh, continue, some states continue to struggle with counting ballots. And uh, weather was an issue in Nevada. There was a problem in Maricopa County with voting machines. I know. It sounds it sounds fictional. And there was also a problem in Pennsylvania. And they decided many states to count their ballots, their absentee ballots, after the election poll, after the polls open, and they do it last. Makes no sense. But let's get to uh, let's get to what the facts of the matter. All right. First off, we were misled when it comes to the polls. Misled that it was too close to call in New Hampshire. Misled that it was too close to call when it comes to the. Uh, Senate race, governor's race, Sununu, everybody knew he was going to win. Uh, Bullduck was not close, uh, lost by about eight. Uh, Joe O'Day in Colorado, not close, even though he was a wonderful candidate, not close. Michael Bennett, they want someone moderate, they want a Democrat. And we're so far in Oregon, the governor's race too close to call. Republican still has a shot, but it's a distant shot. There's almost no shot the House is going to go to the Dems. But the fact is there's not a 40-seat difference when an economy is like this, with crime as, the, as bad as it's been through the 1990s, is stunning. If you want to know how the Senate is going to go, it comes down to Wisconsin. Currently, Ryan Johnson's got a one-point lead. In Arizona, currently, you have a situation where it's about a four-point lead for Senator Kelly. So Kelly might hold on to that, even though he's done a terrible job, ran a terrible campaign, and pretended as if he was separate from Joe Biden, when he's exactly what Joe Biden is. Nevada, Adam Laxalt, when I got to work at four in the morning, he was trailing. He's up by about three points now. In Georgia, we're at runoff time because both are about uh, a percentage point away from each other, but none have 50 percent. So the balance of power in the Senate could come down to December 6th instead of January 5th. So that's where we're at right now. So we'll look at the analysis and what happened. I thought Mark Thiessen was brutal. So far, it looks as though a lot, if you look right now at the big winners, it is for anybody in Florida that's a Republican. Governor DeSantis won by a, a, over a dozen. He also took the Hispanic vote, the one he lost 
by about 11 points. He got 57% of the uh, uh, Hispanic votes. So he won by 15. He lost that to Gillum last time by 10. So that shows how formidable he is. The non-Hispanic vote, uh, he won by five. Non-Cuban vote, I should say. Palm Beach, heavily Democratic, he won by three. William Dade, he won by 20. So if you look at uh, William Dade uh, over in Dade County in Miami, if you look at Ron DeSantis at 44 years old, the successful governor in a red state, now clearly a red state, that has turned that state red, you would think that he is front and uh, head and shoulders above the rest when it comes to running for president. But Donald Trump says no. If, if Ron runs, he said that'll be bad for him because I know a lot of stuff about him. I'm not sure people want to hear that right now, especially because Ron DeSantis seems to have the president's policies without all the turbulence that goes along with it. The president of the United States knows that Dr. Oz was his pick and he lost. He got the president of the United States, former president of the United States, knows that uh, Doug Mastriano was his pick, and he got crushed. Mastriano, a terrible candidate, uh, never even campaigned, raised about $300,000. I thought he was bright, he was experienced, but he had no way of getting his message out and didn't make much of an effort. So that, to me, is inexcusable. It probably destroyed Oz's chances of winning overall to the, uh, the extremely limited Fetterman, who's now Senator-elect Fetterman from Pennsylvania. Have you ever seen a guy stroke aside— more unsenatorial than him, who's more left than he ever pretended that he pretended not to be. So here's Lindsey Graham saying it like he sees it. Cut three. Definitely not a Republican wave. That's for darn sure. I think we're going to be at 51, 52 when it's all said and done in the Senate. Uh, that's probably not going to happen because I don't see the comeback coming right now. When it comes to what's happening in Arizona, I do see Ron Johnson sealing it up. So far, we're at 48-48. So Johnson wins, it's 49-48. Laxalt wins, it's 50-48. That leaves Kelly, Herschel, and Warnock. So it leaves Georgia and Arizona. And right now, I don't see Masters closing the gap. Do you? I don't know. See how you do that. Although I don't know exactly what left is left to be counted. They did have some problems there. Mark Thiessen was expecting a wave. He sat in our studio expecting a wave. Here's what he said last night. Cut for. I think there's a broader issue here, which mm-hmm. is that, so think about this. We have the worst inflation in four decades, the worst collapse in real wages in 40 years, the worst crime wave since the 1990s, the worst border crisis in U.S. history. We have Joe Biden, who is the least popular president since Harry Truman, since presidential polling happened, and there wasn't a red wave. That is a searing indictment of the Republican Party. That is a searing indictment of the message that we have been sending to the voters. They looked at all of that and said, and looked at the Republican alternative and said, no thanks. That is, that is a re- the Republican Party needs to do a really deep introspection look in the mirror right now, because this is, this is an absolute disaster for the Republican Party, and we need to turn back. I mean, not, uh, not all across. I mean, think about this. In New York, about five seats have flipped Republican. And the governor's race, pretty close, although I thought Zeldin had a shot at winning. He did, but it looks like he lost by about four points. He has not officially conceded yet and says there's a million votes ready to be counted. Jen Psaki came out last night and said they call, she called the White House, obviously has connections, and says they are giddy about the midterm election results. But keep in mind, things are going to change for him. I don't see a scenario where he doesn't lose the House. And in the Senate, you're going to see everyone rally around Herschel Walker and If you see how unpopular Joe Biden is in Georgia, I think he's around 30-something percent. How popular Brian Kemp is. You send DeSantis down there, get rid of the libertarian candidate, and then you give people three weeks, a week after Thanksgiving, 
to take a look. If that's the balance of power in the Senate, Joe Biden should not be laughing. But one thing is clear. Some people are only going to vote for their party regardless, because if you see everything that Mark was talking about, crime is real. That's not hyperbole. You see what's happening at the border. Four million come across illegally. 800,000 gotaways. Fentanyl killing more people than you can possibly imagine. Infecting rich, affecting college students, as well as 50-year-old veterans. So you take all this scenario, the president driving up inflation to a 40-year high, including the policies that he supports, destroying energy independence. And yet he still has a shot at keeping both chambers. It's nuts. The good news for Donald Trump and the good news for Republicans, J.D. Vance prevails handily. Gets about a four or five point win. Cut 17. Whether you voted for me or not, the thing that I promise to do is go to the United States Senate and fight every single day for the people of Ohio. Thanks to you, we get an opportunity to do just that. I will never forget the great people of Ohio. Thank you for this honor to serve you. I'll fight for you every day. God bless you guys, and thank you. So he's pretty happy. I think he'll be a great senator. I mean, I really do. I think he's extremely smart, diverse. I think he'll serve on committees and get things done. He's not going to be walking around getting sensationalistic headlines. And I think for six years, he'll put his head down. I think that's a good pick. I thought Dr. Oz is a good candidate. I still believe he's a good candidate. You know what people tell me is Doug Mastriano killed the guy because he got literally, he lost by about 20 points in Pennsylvania to a very candidate that was very beatable in Shapiro. But Mastriano was picked by Donald Trump. He did not do any work, did not get much money from Trump, did not get much money from anyone. McConnell, uh, excuse me, the Governor Association didn't really support him. So uh, that's what happens. He didn't work hard and they didn't support him. Bulldog worked hard, but he didn't get support from Mitch McConnell. These guys couldn't get their act together. Ron John, excuse me, Senator Rick Scott did weigh in and try to help out uh, people like Masters and uh, people like Masters as well as uh, Bulldog, but it wasn't enough. Ron Johnson's up by a point. Such a better candidate than Mandela Barnes. Not saying Mandela Barnes doesn't have talent. He does. 38 years old. Very comfortable on stage. But his message is terrible. He's anti-police. Doesn't have any plan on crime. And is a left-wing guy that would sign off on anything that's to the left of Joe Biden. Here's Ron Johnson. On the fact is, he can't say he won even though he's likely to win. Cut Cut 26. But I will say... I will say, unfortunately, it's still so close. And that, uh, that's a little depressing, isn't it? That, uh, that lies can be that effective. And if you, ever, if you ever wonder, quite honestly, why more good people don't run for office, I, I would just recommend people take a look at the Wisconsin U.S. Senate race in the year 2022. And you just might get that answer. So interesting. Uh, Ron Johnson, six more years. It looks like. It looks like. Uh, and if it isn't, it's going to be there's going to be a huge investigation because he's been up all night. So when we come back, Senator Marshall Blackburn. And of course, I want to take your calls, whatever you have to say. Uh, the red wave that didn't happen. Why? Uh, they say abortion had a, play, a big role in it. Is that what you think? You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade show. So glad you're here. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However, you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. 
Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Some unsolicited advice to President Biden. If we do take the House and we do take the Senate, let's all go to the border and see if we can find a way to fix it. I've got a bill with Elizabeth Warren, believe it or not, to regulate social media. Maybe we could do something in energy, uh, in the energy space. So if it's a divided government, maybe something good could come of it. That is uh, Lindsey Graham, a uh, consequential senator, as is my next guest, a Marsha Blackburn, senator from uh, from Tennessee. Senator, your reaction to the lack of red wave, what is your t- number one takeaway? What we have to look at, Brian, is that the media really drove the narrative of there would be a red wave. But as I've repeatedly said to people, if there's a red wave, you have to make certain it comes to your state, to your congressional district, to your state house and state senate districts, because voters don't just show up and vote without campaigns and people reminding them and uh, getting them to the polls to actually vote. And those mechanics of campaigning are absolutely so important. And I think the other thing that we saw is that a lot of the Democrat voters, at the end of the day, they went home to the Democrat Party. And you saw this with uh, female voters. And As you had Democrat candidates, and you saw some of this down on the southern border, and in Virginia, those candidates separated themselves from the Biden Democrats, and they became Texas Democrats or Virginia Democrats, and they were going to challenge the uh, administration. And so those traditional Democrat voters went back to the Democrat Party and said, okay, we're going to give you a shot at doing that. So they will hold them to account. Now for us, and I think you will see Republican control of of the House and the Senate, and it's going to be those very slim majorities, but it gives us the opportunity to make certain that those Democrats that barely squeaked out these wins in districts that were supposed to be deep blue districts but now are purple districts, that uh, we hold them to to be true to their word. Yeah, uh, so we're looking at a couple of things. I mean, you have Senator Mark Kelly pretending as if he's strong on the border. You have uh, Fetterman pretending as if he's pro-fracking and a moderate. So people, Tim Ryan, thankfully the people of Ohio was smarter than that. If Tim Ryan was a moderate, he probably would have had a better shot, but he lost by a substantial margin uh, in the big picture. Here's Kevin McCarthy last night. Cut one. Now let me tell you, you're out late. But when you wake up tomorrow, we will be in the majority and Nancy Pelosi will be in the minority. So you believe that? Uh, I'm not sure. I I mean, I think most people do believe that. But the fact that he's struggling and that's a body he used to be in, there's some say he's vulnerable. Uh, Your thoughts about that, about being the next speaker, if they do salt away and get the house? 
from what I hear from the House members, they have decided Kevin McCarthy will be the Republican conference nominee for speaker. And I I have not heard anybody say that they are planning to revisit that. They want to move forward. They want to take those gavels and those chairmanships. They want to begin that process of holding the Biden administration to account, getting inflation under control, making certain that we take votes uh, to address that open border. What does it say to you that this border has allowed 4 million people to pass through 800,000 gotaways, minimum, the fentanyl to kill more Americans than you could possibly imagine, and yet it didn't seem to matter as much? Um, I think the interesting thing there, Brian, is that the issue of the border caused the Democrats to walk away from the Biden administration. And next week in Senate Judiciary Committee, we're going to have an oversight hearing with Secretary Mayorkas. And I would expect that some of the Democrats on the committee are going to ask more pointed questions of him simply because they have looked at how in order to hang on to some of these seats, you had Democrats that had to walk away from the Biden administration and their policies, whether it was the border or crime in the streets or fentanyl or inflation or the green economy. They had to nuance that and in order to save themselves. So now they're going to have to prove to those people that are sending them back And Virginia is a great example of this. Uh, There were three races there. We won one. There are two that you had the Democrats pull those races out. Uh, But they're going to have to be that person in the middle and not vote 90 percent of the time with the Democrat leadership. So it looks like there'll be. So if Laxalt holds on and Ron Johnson hold on and Kelly holds on. It's going to come down to Georgia December 6th again. What is the Herschel Walker strategy for beating Warnock right out? I I think one of the most effective things for Herschel Walker was the Vince Dooley ad and talking about how Vince Dooley knew Herschel Walker. I think Herschel Walker needs to run his own campaign. He needs to be out there and talk about what he is going to do for the people of Georgia, how he is going to challenge this administration on those issues of inflation and economy, on the Green New Deal, how he is going to push to get that border secured, how he's going to be a voice for parental rights, how he really appreciates the people of Georgia and how deeply concerned they are about this push from the left to dramatically change this country. There's a a reason why Kemp won. (laughs) Yes, that is right. And it needs to be about the people of Georgia. And, you know, one of the things that we all have to remember, campaigns are not about the candidates. Campaigns are about the people that are going to go to those polls and vote. And it is imperative that people talk to their friends and neighbors. And my hope is that Herschel's going to have a grassroots effort 
that is going to be very decisive. Yep. Uh, back to work. Uh, thanks so much. Appreciate it. David Bellavia, next. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Nobody with this low of an approval rating as a sitting president has ever done this well in a midterm in the modern era. And the, the Republicans have to look in the mirror. And if they don't sit here and look at Trump, and they may be afraid to pick this fight, but there's no doubt. There's, this is now the fact Biden's sitting at 45%. The economy is where it was. You read that yeah. stat. This shouldn't be competitive, and it is. And I think you have one place to look. That is uh, Chuck Todd. And he said there is no wave. And I watched Meet the Press on Sunday, and he kind of expected a big wave. Uh, so Chuck Todd sees what we all see. It all could go. It's going to go worse for President Biden. And he is bracing for an investigation on Hunter Biden, what he was up to in his business, what he was up to as vice president. That is a just investigation. But for Republicans, once they get in power in the House, it seems to be just a formality now. We'll probably get that a little bit later today. Uh, what they're going to do with it is going to be interesting because they got to leverage away to get back to energy independence and to seal the border. The other thing they have to do is find out about the Senate, and they might have to wait till Herschel Walker uh, and Warnock have a runoff December, uh, December 6th. On top of that, it looks like Adam Laxalt will win in Nevada. Let's see if they get the ultimate check mark. It looks like Mark Kelly. I've not seen Masters get within three yet. And then on the other side, when you have Ron Johnson, he has never trailed. But he's still just got a one-point lead in Wisconsin. With me right now is David Bellavia. He's the only living Medal of Honor recipient from the Iraq War for his actions in Fallujah. Author of a new book, Remember the Ramrods, an Army Brotherhood in War and Peace. And a best-selling author in his own right. I believe they're making a movie on his last book. David, welcome back. Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You're from? Buffalo. So you know Kathy Hochul. Oh, I, I ran against Kathy Hochul. I know her very well. Right. Uh, yeah, she's a monster. In what respect? Uh, she's just uh, – I ran against when, – when I was running for Congress with Kathy Hochul, she was a – she was Annie Oakley. I mean she went to rallies uh, pro-gun. She got the NRA endorsement. Uh, she was a pro-life Catholic who talked about how illegal immigrants uh, shouldn't have driver's licenses. Uh, and what happened now? I have – there was uh, – we've had a lobotomy. Something happened. Kathy Hochul is uh, – the, the the worst type of politician are the ones – that sell themselves and completely do whatever they can for their ambition. She's a, I, I'm not a fan. Right. So she took forever to understand that crime is an issue in New York. But today she's going to fix it. Right. The next day. Right. Yeah. Uh, she lost by – she won by about four or five points over Lee Zeldin. You were in the political process while well, fighting all wars for this country. Why do you, th- why do you think Lee got so close and you surprised he didn't win? I'm I'm devastated he didn't win, not because of my partisanship, but because I think New York really needed it. Uh, it, it doesn't make sense. These exit polls don't match up with where uh, the voters. Uh, when you look at how you certainly know, the, not upstate. I was no. I would be going upstate every weekend. Uh, it's 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 it, listen. So many people have hemorrhaged. You know, New York leads the nation in in mass you know net migration of people leaving the area. But when when you look at what New York, I mean, the idea that we've got you know the the fresh water, the energy, all of these things that that New York has. This it's a beautiful state, hardworking, uh, and yet what is the fundamental philosophy of bringing businesses to upstate New York? It's we won't you don't have to pay taxes for ten years. Well, isn't that fantastic? 
This is pr- pr- primarily right. the philosophy of of what uh, Reagan economics has been. It, it's maddening to me. So a couple of things uh, was pretty clear is that New York City still drives everything because Long Island is red. Staten Island is bright red. Most of New York State is red outside Albany in particular. So Governor Hochul uh, now, who really didn't do much, but connected get $50 billion dollars. You, and realize how much pay for play is involved in that. And look, you've got you know there, there's a whole lot uh, that, that's going on with just uh, you know her husband and uh, the stadium deal. I'm a huge Bills fan, but uh, that stadium is not popular in New York State. It's not, and you know we're we're rolling out the red carpet. Well, we didn't vote on it. Well, no, did, no one voted on. It. Matter of fact, I, I don't even think who was negotiating it. Everything was kept secret about the entire thing. The big reveal, like a Maury Povich. You know, we found out how much it was going to cost and the, the sweetheart deal and what they did to the Seneca Nation. Uh, it's it's damaging. What do you mean with the Seneca Nation? Well, the fact that the, the, the Seneca Nation had money that they owed the state. They were working on this. And Kathy Hochul just uh, took that money and, and put it towards uh, the stadium in Buffalo. Uh, listen, the Seneca Nation the, – they are fiscally responsible. Maybe they should be running New York State. They seem to be making a profit, you know? Uh, so in the big picture, the crime doesn't matter, uh, I guess, enough to to change leaders. I think that Adams would have been a lot better off hooking up with uh, Zeldin because I think it would have put partisanship aside. What do you think uh, overall in this country that we don't seem to – we put the border maybe fifth most important thing, yet 98 known terrorists have crossed the border this summer. 98 have been caught. Can you imagine who we didn't get? Well, listen, I, I, I don't – these exit polls are so confusing to me. I, I'm supposed to believe that, uh, you know, democracy was on the ballot? Democracy? Yeah. Is that what we're led to believe? Immigration meant something to uh, Latinos in South Florida, but it didn't mean pe- something to people South Texas on that border? You have three elected Democrats on the border of Texas running against – some of them were spouses of border uh, uh, cops. Flores. It just makes no sense. So listen, the people are never wrong. Maybe democracy is on the ballot, and maybe we should do something at the federal level. You know what? Maybe I had an epiphany this morning. I believe we should have a federal law on elections. They need to be decided that night. This is ridiculous. We're still waiting. 99%. We're going to have a, a Macy's Day parade before we find out what's going on in Arizona. Yeah, and, and with that Maricopa County, the machines failed. It's ridiculous. Uh, there There's was, no excuse It snowed in Nevada, so they just shut the polls. Didn't we and just it, nudge a satellite out of space with a rocket? I yes. mean, is the United States still uh, you know, coming up with cures? We can't figure out a ballot within a week I mean, Brian, this is it's within insulting. a day. I mean, look, Florida got it down after embarrassing the country for a while. Right. They fixed it. And Iraq does better with purple fingers than we're doing right now. It's it's a it's a shame. It really so uh, the first time I came across you was your book, House to House. Yes, uh, sir. And it was unbelievable. Thank you. And, and, and if there was anything, any book. That should have been a movie. It was it. And sure enough, where is the movie process? You know, this whole thing, I'm actually the most stubborn person in the movie process. Uh, I I just I want to make sure it's good. I want it to be. I just saw that All Quiet on the Western Front on Netflix, the World War One epic. That's how you make a war movie. You know, there's no politics in it. It's war. It is what it is. 
uh, it blew me away. I want my movie. Then I don't want it to be Starship Troopers. I want it to be like a, a, a this. These are my friends, and I want it to be good. I want it to be real. Excuse me if I have anything inaccurate, but basically, House Task, you should know this. Uh, David, you open up in the book, and you're you're being robbed. Your house is being robbed. Yeah. And you walk in, mm-hmm. and you notice the robbery, and your parents are in a room. Right. And when you came in, they were hoping that you would save the day, and you kind of froze. <laughs> right. So, and you regretted that. Absolutely. I, I was a, a college kid who, who, you know, didn't defend his family. It was the worst experience of my life. It's one of the reasons why I joined the military, that look at my dad's face of you're just not ready for life. It was, it was emasculating. And, but you ended up going to the da- most dangerous place on the planet on the most uh, dangerous time in Fallujah, and you ended up going house to house, and you ended up in hand-to-hand combat, literally choking out some terrorists. And your greatest, you you tackled your greatest fear head to head. It's almost as if it was a movie. While I'm reading it, I close. I go, if this isn't a movie, I don't know what is. It, it, you know, it, it was one of those things where you, you know the house was rigged to blow. There were like five guys in there, uh, and and our unit got trapped down. Now this all happened. This is the anniversary of the Battle of Fallujah, 18 years ago today, uh, is, is when that whole thing you know went down. So you have a new book out now. It's called Remember the Ramrods, an Army Brotherhood and the War and Peace. So with you getting the award that you got and earned, uh, you came across your old guys again. Yeah. And what did that mean? It meant everything. Uh, this is uh, – I thought I missed the war for 15 years, uh, but I, I missed my, my friends. I missed that, those relationships. That's what we fought for. You know, Americans on the battlefield, there's not a dental plan. There's not a college loan in the world that makes you do what our servicemen and women do. It's for each other. It's for our country. Um, and, and that relationship, having them back in my life, this award allowed that to happen. And uh, it, it, it really has made my life so much better to have them back. Medal of Honor recipient. What, I mean, so you get them in, but you bring the guys back in order to, to relive those moments. Did you suffer any PTSD from that? Did you find yourself running through these battle scenes over and over again? Yeah, I mean, I think it's weird when your whole military, you know, the worst day of your life is something. You know, Chuck Yeager just died. He was like 99, but we just talk about the sound barrier when he was 24. <laughs> You you live cryogenically frozen in that time. You think, did I peak in my 20s? You know, 20 years removed from combat, you think, you know, this is something. Am I going to do everything to match that? Exactly. You know what I mean? You don't want to have uh, – for 15 years, I felt like Susan Lucci, you know, like nominated for a daytime Emmy, but you didn't get it. It's an honor to be nominated. This award was never going to happen. Out of the blue, it does happen. And now you're thinking to yourself, you know, well, what do I do now? I give this award to a kid that can go and hang out with Hollywood, you know, people and have fun. I, I'm an old man now. I just want to live so, my life. So it's very interesting. I think this applies. I, I'm in California. I know absolutely no one. So I just go out to a field and I grab a soccer ball and I'm just I'm kicking the ball against the wall. And a guy comes over to me and I'm like, he looks familiar. And he goes, yeah, I used to play soccer a little bit. It helped me with my boxing. I look at him, and it's uh, Ray, Mon- Ray Mancini, and he's about 40. He looks, boom, boom, he, Mancini. Yeah. So he walks over wow. to me. It was, in, it was in Malibu. So I started going to him. I go, you know, I, was doing, I do sports and all sports radio. I go, would you ever hop on? He goes, yeah, here's my phone number. And I said, uh, and it was, he's so transparent. He's like you. He reminds me of you a little bit. And he just starts telling me. He said, uh, I had a huge heart. I go, what are you doing now? He goes, I stay in shape, but it's nothing to say. I'm playing in the softball league. I said, well, how do you deal with the fact that you're no longer champion? He said, well, I had to go see a priest. And the priest mm. just told me this. And I don't love his answer, but he had no problem with it. 
Priest says, whatever you do in life is not going to match what you've already achieved. Hmm. Get used to it and set new goals. So wow. get comfortable with the belt and get wow. comfortable with being 40 and move on. Now, I felt like he moved on. I haven't talked to him in the last 10, 15 years. But it's tough when you get to the mountaintop and you get there. What happens when you achieve your goals and you have so much of life ahead of you? That's really, I mean, wow, that, that's. Does that apply to that what you does. And I, who would have thought that uh, wisdom would come from Boom Boom Mancini? But that that is, no, you're absolutely right. You you feel like, you know, what is else out there? I remember when I got this award and the news broke, a coworker t- told me, some guy with your name is getting the Medal of Honor. <laughs> like, they had no idea. <laughs> they had no idea who you are. You're just living your life. You, you're trying to put that away. Uh, you don't want to be known for, for that. Uh, you know, coaching soccer with, you know, my son. I remember I had parents that came up to me after House to House came out, and they said, you know, we're not really comfortable with you coaching our kids, you know, because, you know, red card, you might you might go off, you might lose it, you know, whatever. Did you laugh or did you get angry? Did no, you, did... I mean, what are you supposed to do? I, I, I get it. I understand it. It's When America gets used to violence and that's the tragedy of what's happening in our streets. Right. Is that there was a time when you heard a gunshot, you assumed it was a car backfiring because you didn't know what a gunshot was. Now we're like nine millimeter, about four millimeters away. <laughs> well, you are. You anyway, know what I mean? yeah. Everyone knows because right. it's happening all the time. It's horrible. Well, you know what's so interesting is that now most of these subway attacks are, are hand-to-hand, you know, stabbing the neck. Uh, this other guy, I was just one of the stories today was a man on the A train, on the number one train, just gets punched in the face and knocked out. The sucker punches from behind. So where people go, yeah, get guns off the streets, like Kathy Hogle, get guns off the streets. No, that's not the problem. That's not the problem. It, it's it's it, unbelievable. I mean, I, I honestly could tell you that there are places downrange overseas, you know, that this is not what America should be. We're better than that. And right. it's not about a, no political party owns that. That's what's so disturbing about this is that, you know, we, we've broken into factions and we're tribal and everyone's got their little team. My guys, we cancel each other vote out. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, we, we just got our business done and, and we handled ourselves. And it's it, so stupid. David Bellavia is here. His new book is out. you got to go grab it. I know everyone's focused on the election, but in a couple of days we'll get all the results. We'll find out who's in power or maybe December uh, December 6th. Uh, but pick this up now, and you could download it like me. I prefer to download books. You want to hold them? Yeah. Uh, remember the Ramrods, an army brotherhood in war and peace. Back in a moment. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back. We have a few more minutes with David Bellavia, and his book is now out, Remember the Ramrods, an Army Brotherhood in War and Peace. Tell me what the book's about. The book is basically uh, just uh, the process of behind the Medal of Honor is pretty crazy and secretive and, and weird. Out of the blue, they call you up. You think you're being investigated. You almost think like you're going to jail. You know, I got a, I'm the first guy to get a lawyer when <laughs> you, you find out you're getting the Medal of Honor. Uh, but the book is about veterans 20 years after war. We all process life differently. Uh, we have to remember who we are. We have to remember the the folks uh, that served with us. A lot of guys are going through things that we can save each other from. A lot of the addiction and the suicide and whatnot. But this book is about remembering, you know, your your tribe, remembering your roots, 
and realizing that the war is just something that happened. The people are the are the things you miss and you love and you want them back in your life. So, I mean, you lived it. You fought for the country. And for that, and envious, you should be a, for every day you've already won. That's how I, that's how I view you. Uh, hopefully you view yourself the same way. But I love talking about American history because there's a war in history. Yeah. And the second book that I wrote is Thomas Jefferson, The Tripoli Pirates. And you just told me the connection you have. I knew there was a mission to bring back the guys that, uh, that, were, uh, that were blown up in that mission, and they were buried in Tripoli. What, did, what could you tell me about it? So uh, Qaddafi in the 60s, uh, when he took over in a coup, uh, there was a Protestant cemetery that was right outside. There was a military base there for years uh, before Qaddafi was in power. Uh, so Americans and non-Muslims were buried in this Protestant cemetery. But there was always a rumor that that's where uh, Summers and the men from that mission uh, were were buried in a mass grave. We had tried for years and years uh, to get those remains home. Annapolis wanted them home. There's a, a town in New Jersey, Summers Point, named after Richard Summers, that wanted you know their patriarch home. Uh, for years, these parents would beg any American sailor going overseas, bring our guys home. We know they're gone. Just bring our bodies home. What that means to families. And so when we started to hear that there was unrest in Libya, uh, a lot of these people were saying, we, you can get access to this. And, and it wasn't a matter of anything other than doing the right thing. These are the first Americans to die overseas uh, in battle. We had a brand new Navy. Uh, we're taking on these uh, the Islamic radical terrorists, and uh, our guys get blown up in a mission to go ashore. Right. So, so I was freshly home from the war. I didn't really, you know, I, I missed it. I wanted to, and I met all these Navy SEALs. I met all these guys, Marcus Luttrell, Chris Kyle at the time yeah. before they were, you know, superstars, and said, let's let's get a group together. One minute left. What happened? And let's go get them. And, well, we the Civil War broke out. And so the Navy said, you know, by the way, if you show up in Zodiacs and start cruising out to Sicily, we might just light you up. This is a really stupid idea. Uh, And uh, we identified them, uh, and the DOD eventually put a wreath down and said, yes, this is where they lay. This is official. So maybe one night (laughs) we might see David come back with the remains. Uh, David Bellavia, congratulations on the book. Remember the ramrods. Go pick it up today. David, always great to see you. Thank you, sir. All right, and we'll talk a little bit about what's going on in Ukraine next time we talk about it. Yes, sir. Because it's a mission, I think, worthy of our time. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. Uh, Rich Lowry from National Review will try to put this election in perspective in about 34 minutes. But with me right now in studio is Mark Penn, chairman of the Harris Poll, chief executive of Stagwell, Inc., and Fox News contributor. You watch them all night long. You might not know it, but Mark is wearing sneakers. Right? We did not see your feet last night, Mark, right? No, you didn't. It's true. You know, you, you have ra- to be comfortable. You, you got to race around this place. What did you think going in? I think it's if people are just tuning in, I'm sure it's, you're not just tuning in, but just know this. We do not know how's the majority in the House. We do not know how's the majority in the Senate. And we're about to break down four key races that will decide that in the Senate. And for the House, it seems to be trending Republicans' way. First off, on first blush, when you got off the air last night, what was your biggest surprise? Uh, the biggest surprise really was the dimension of the win in Florida. 
Uh, everybody thought Ron DeSantis would win. People thought, well, Rubio would be a lot weaker. But to really have a 20-point win, win Miami-Dade, uh, after uh, DeSantis was only a single point, sweep the congressional races. You know, I say there was the it's the United States of Florida. They were their own country last night in terms of results because none of the other states really demonstrated that kind of change. Rubio, huge win, too, as well. Mm-hmm. And when you break it down, uh, DeSantis won the Hispanic vote by 15, by 57 percent. He won the non Cuban vote, I believe, by 5%, and he lost to uh, Willie, uh, Willer. I even forgot his name. Uh, the guy he lost to last time. Gilliam? Uh, Gilliam, my, my bad. He lost him by 10 points on the Hispanic vote. That's how much things have changed in four years. Here's how happy he was. You know, over these past four years, we've seen major challenges for the people of our state, for the citizens of the United States, and above all, for the cause of freedom. We saw freedom in our very way of life and so many other jurisdictions in this country wither on the vine. Florida held the line. Those really good speeches. Three little kids come out after his wife is so poised as a network anchor. He knew exactly what he was going to say. It was a raucous crowd. And you looked at him as the ultimate winner last night. Oh, absolutely. I mean, because, look, he, he had not just words. Look, many many politicians today and even even senators, you know, they have some words. They may or may not have had a bill or two. He had uh, record performance through a pandemic, right? Right. That's the and, – and a hurricane. So those are the things that really pressure governors. And he came through that, and you see the complete breakdown of partisanship and break away from partisanship to to reaffirm his leadership. That really surprised me. That really said he's got to be waking up today and saying, hmm, this presidential run, I was thinking about it, but now I've got to do it. Although there was a report in Axios last week that he wasn't going to do it, and, Ron, and Donald Trump came out yesterday and said there's a lot of things about Ron's background. It wouldn't be good for him to come out and run for president. And here's what he said, Donald, the president said, the former president said last night, cut 28. The minute I made that endorsement, he got it. Then he ran, and he wasn't supposed to be able to win. I did two rallies. We had 52,000 people each one. I thought that he could have been more gracious, but that's up to him. Talking about how when he wanted to go from congressman to get the nomination and then ultimately win, he won by one point that he could have been more gracious. So there seems to be somewhat friction between the two. You've seen that before. Uh, what do you, how do you think this plays out? Well, of course there's friction. They're, they're rivals for the mantle of leadership. I think that, uh, that last night the Republican Party didn't have national leadership. Uh, I think that in many of the races it turned out weaker than expected – Trump primary candidates came through, and while while people will say Vance won or JD or Vance won, Trump, and he was nom- and he was obviously yeah, but a that, big pick for Trump. But, but you know that was an eight point uh, Trump state, and Vance won by six, and then Bud won. But again, Ted Bud is North Carolina, right? And and those were uh, more Republican leaning states. But in the fifty fifty states, you know, having Walker and and having Oz as the candidates, that pretty much jeopardized those two seats. And, you know, Pennsylvania is a loss. 
and and we'll see what happens with uh, with Georgia. And Senator, so, uh, it looks like Fetterman won that seat. Yes, I mean, there's no question about that. And he did win the seat. Yeah, and so so you you look at that, and you say, well, okay, McCormick probably would have been able to put up a better race. This was a good night for moderates. You know, moderate Democrats did well. The Spamberger uh, race, Abigail Spamberger in Virginia, Josh Gottheimer in New Jersey five. Uh, Henry Cuellar in Texas. I mean, you know, this really the electorate right now has to choose between a Republican Party they don't like and a Democratic Party they don't like. And so they're really looking for new leadership here. So Gottheimer is somebody that would break from the party once in a while. Not enough. Uh, But and Henry Cuellar did when it comes to the border. I'm a big fan of his. And and that's uh, that to me is the old days where you used to go center left, center right. And then you debate out the issues now I feel as though your job is to leave the border wide open or build a wall and get control over it. I thought that was so obvious. When it comes to inflation, should we, should we do everything we can to be energy independent? I thought that would be obvious from the 70s. I remember in eighth grade hearing about if America could be energy independent, well, finally away from OPEC in the Middle East. We did it, and we gave it all back and then blamed them. So some of these things are really uh, mind-boggling. But if you look at President Trump's pick of Mastriano, that might have been the most detrimental. Evidently, and you're the expert on this, it's very it's you gotta get somebody to break away from their party to vote for you. So Kemp is going straight on party lines. People voted for Warnock, or not at all. Then you're asking people to break from Mastriano, the Republican nominee for governor, and find Oz on the ballot. How hard is that? Uh, exactly. And then Trump also raised a couple hundred million dollars that might otherwise have been raised for these candidacies and then didn't spend it. So, right. so look, I think that uh, that there's going to be a big clash here. Uh, maybe, you know, Tim Scott had a good night, too. Uh, Mike Pompeo certainly been looking at it. But I think there's going to be a Republican primary. There's not going to be just Donald Trump. You're you're the nominee. And, and I think it's going to be a big fight. You know, I always say that, uh, that that right now we've been in a kind of what I call a, a Nixon-Carter-Reagan uh, cycle, which is <clears throat> Nixon was unacceptable to to the elites in the country and then was removed no matter how many votes he, he could get. Uh, Carter was the accidental president who was, was elected in response to Nixon, who otherwise wouldn't have been elected. And then the question is, who who is the Reagan? It doesn't have to be a Republican. But who is the person that is really going to lead the country and break the gridlock? Okay, Neither Trump nor Biden can do that. The country knows that. Maybe DeSantis is probably a big pick. Maybe there's a Democrat that will emerge you know, on the Democratic side. But, but today, Joe Biden is probably figuring, I'm going to be the Democratic nominee. I'm going to run again. Let's assume for a second that people weren't all over our coverage last night and are just saying what happened. So for the most part, the House is still up in the air. you got 200 seats for Republicans, uh, about 100 and. 80-plus for Democrats, but why can't we give this to Republicans yet? they got to get to 218, correct? Well, you gotta, you got to count the votes. Look, experts who've poured through it think that the Republicans are somewhere between 220 and 225, so it's a, it's a thin majority for the Republicans. And New York could have delivered it, by the way. New York, <laughs> five seats in, in, in Long Island. And one in Hudson County. Oh, right. It's five seats with a very fractious kind of Republican caucus. So it'll be it'll be hard for, for them to govern. And I think that the Biden administration will take away, well, you know, our message is not so bad. So I think everybody's going to dig in here for two years and look to the presidential rather than what happened after 94 when I worked with President Clinton 
in which there was a kind of an era of reconciliation and progress. Because uh, I, there was a, a big, there was a decisive moment, a shellacking under, uh, well, Obama got 40 seats lost under Trump, and then uh, Clinton lost big time when you were there in 94, right? Yeah, he lost big time. He said, well, look, you know, I'm going to take a whole different direction with my administration. I'm now going to, going to make compromises. I'm going to do things the American people want to get done. And he worked with the Republican leadership. So, so let's look at the four seats that are left. Uh, Laxalt's got about a three-point lead right now over the sitting senator in Nevada. Is there any indication or is there a county out there that will change that race? I don't see it. I think I think he that looks pretty good for him. I think that's likely to go our here. Uh, out of nowhere, Senator Kelly, we thought this was a one or two point race, but has been up by about three or four on Masters. We also know that Carrie Lake is about a half a point back now uh, in in, uh, in Arizona. So unless that flip, that seat flips, the Republicans basically have the house, uh, have the Senate. But it doesn't look like that's going to happen. But no, we're still no. counting in Arizona. It's still a mess. Well, that's right. But it looks like the governorship, if you assume that the remaining votes out there are more Republican as they seem to be, that, that right now you'd say Lake has a, has a reasonable chance, but that the Senate seat's going to go Democratic. All right. So we go one and one. Now we're 49, 49. Uh, Senator Ron Johnson, one point lead over Mandela Barnes. It's going up slightly as we went to bed. You went to bed last night. So he says he expects to win, but he couldn't declare to win. Do you see anything out there that would stop Johnson from walking away? Anything in Madison, a very liberal area? Again, they they basically counted almost all the votes, so so I think Johnson's likely to hold on there. So that would be uh, that would be fifty forty nine. We'll wait to see what happens on Arizona, and then we could end up fifty fifty. Then it comes down to Georgia. So what happens is Warnock has and a slight... Alaska in there too, but there are two R's. So you two get R's, yeah, and it looks like McCaskey's going to lose. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, but this is to more of a conservative candidate who Donald Trump won. So, if you're looking for it, who wanted? So, if you look at this race, I'm just going to tell you conventional wisdom. Then we'll get the Mark Penn wisdom. They say if you take the Libertarian out, but it's with 1.2 uh, percent of the vote, and then if you look at the fact that Joe Biden becomes, if it's the power in the Senate, Joe Biden becomes more of a factor in Georgia. He's remarkably unpopular in Georgia. That helps Walker. Your thoughts. Well, again, this race is going to play itself out as the as, as uh, really Warnock and Walker are surrogates for Donald Trump and Joe Biden, and that was a race that was razor thin, right? Ultimately, for so so this is going to be. I couldn't tell you who's going to win that runoff. I think uh, I think <coughs> Herschel <coughs> has maybe a scintilla of advantage, but boy, that was going to be a real race. They're going to they're going to have to go debate. They're going to go at each other. They're going to raise maybe one hundred, two hundred million dollars and and they're going to go at it. I have three and a half weeks to work this out and I'll, I'll be Mark Penn for a second. I don't pull in President Trump <clears throat> because President Trump knows he went after he asked Purdue to run against Kemp and got, Kemp got crushed. Uh, excuse me. Purdue got crushed. And then Kemp has a substantial victory outside DeSantis, the biggest winner. He goes back against Stacey Abrams. I don't care what you think of her. She's extremely talented and she has a lot of fame. And he crushed her on in my my view, pure performance of Woody, how he acted as governor over four years. So if Kemp comes forward to help Walker and DeSantis comes forward to help Walker and Trump steps back, that to me could give Walker more of a leg up. Your thought? Well, you're assuming <clears throat> you're assuming a rational Republican Party, right? And so Trump right now is going to be I can't be left out. 
I have to reestablish myself as the leader in the primary. So in theory, if what you're saying happened, that would obviously help Walker, you know, if, if he could get the two so successful I do have a governors, plan. you have you have a good plan. But can you get the people with the egos involved to execute that plan? So far, that hasn't been the case. And Walker, you know, again, you look at this, the, the I, I believe that the suburbs, you know, the Trump turned off the suburbs while while if you look at Yunkin in Virginia or DeSantis was able to bin, win both the suburbs and kind of even the Latino vote. And so Walker has to make that kind of pivot, which he, he can't do with the baggage of Trump and, and maybe with his own baggage. But but, you know, it's going to be a close race. It's it's a it's it's going to be all out. The, it has not been decided. It It genuinely you know, the candidates are going to have to on their own win or lose. Mark Penn's going to stick around for a few more minutes. Also, by the way, Walker, I think, only had 8% of the black vote, which is amazing because he grew up in, the, in a black community, dirt poor, worked his way up. Uh, and I thought that would be somebody they could relate to the black community, but they just do not want currently any part of his candidacy. Uh, but he'll be joining us at some point, maybe today or tomorrow. Hey, listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show one day after Election Day. And no, we don't have the winners yet, but we'll continue to report as it all unfolds. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Big picture. I can't tell you if the Republicans ultimately are going to win the the Senate. They might. I can't tell you if they're likely to win uh, the House. It sure looks like they they could. Uh, But what I can tell you is the biggest loser tonight is Donald Trump. Uh, His candidates, his hand-picked candidates, lost in states Republicans thought they could win in New Hampshire with Baldick, in Pennsylvania with Mastriano. Uh, the fact that you have uh, his handpicked candidates for Senate in Pennsylvania, uh, Oz, in Georgia, Herschel Walker, you know, both, you know, struggling. Uh, you know, they, again, we, we don't know what the results are there, but these were states Republicans thought they were going to be able to flip. And that was Jonathan Carl, who wrote a hit book, uh, not a hit book, but a negative book on Trump. That's how he saw Trump still talks to him all the time. I'm really confused on why, to be honest. But he goes and says Trump is the big loser. Mark Penn, our guest here, who's all over the coverage for Fox, chairman of the Harris Poll, chief executive of Stagwell, Inc., for a longtime pollster for the Clintons. Mark, was he, is he right, Jonathan Carl? Well, you know, I've always been fair to Trump. When, I, when he's right, he call it right. When he's wrong, I call him wrong. In this case, I do think Carl is right. I do think this was a disastrous night for Trump. I think that he pushed a number of more extreme, unpopular candidates through the Republican primaries that would be his people. And that's primarily in those states where you needed candidates with, a, with an edge, right, because they were really super close states. Like it didn't didn't matter so much in, you know, it didn't so matter so much in, in Ohio or North Carolina. But where it mattered here, it, it, it really hurt the Republican Party. And so you look at this and you say, well, there's a loser in the Republican Party, Donald Trump and what he did in the primaries. And he also collected a couple hundred million dollars that he didn't give out in the in the primaries to support his candidates. And there's a winner, Ron DeSantis, who, you know, uh, who took Florida with him and is the big exception to the to the trends that you see out there. And so look from um, uh, having been through so many uh, 
presidential primaries on the Democratic side. I'm just going to sit back here, you know, and get the popcorn because uh, there is going to be, you know, a big fight here. And those fights often, you know, are good for parties. Right? I mean, Ford, Reagan. Yeah. I mean, look, they're they're good for parties because the winner, you know, oftentimes then solidifies support, gets ready for the general election and energizes the voters. Of course, you know, Trump will always want to take his marbles and go home uh, if he loses. And I, I, But I do think if somebody slays Trump in the primary, they are going to be in a really incredibly strong position in the general. The one thing I do know is that this public does not want right. a repeat of Donald Trump against Joe Biden. <laughs> Nobody does. <laughs> uh, only 30 percent of the people in exit poll Democrats want Joe Biden to run again. Donald Trump put this out on Truth Social. 174 wins, nine losses, a great evening. And the fake news media, together with their partner in crime, the Democrats, are doing everything possible to play it down. Amazing job by some really fantastic candidates. Well, you know, interesting spin. (laughs) (laughs) You don't see it that way. A lot of them were just uncontested seats. Uh, But the, the Dr. Oz thing is, to me, that's the biggest stunner. The bulldog wasn't close. The master seems to be struggling. Uh, that does not look good for the president, former president. No, and, and to go back to if it's Trump against Biden, 60% say they want an independent centrist. That's the true mood wow. of this country. Mark Penn, thanks so much. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Now let me tell you, you're out late. But when you wake up tomorrow, we will be in the majority and Nancy Pelosi will be in the minority. The American people are ready for a majority that will offer a new direction, that will put America back on track. Republicans are ready to deliver it. So there you go. Uh, that is Kevin McCarthy. He's getting a little ahead of himself, but it looks like the Republicans going to win the House. It does right now. The Senate, again, it's probably going to come down to December 6th. So for Democrats to say, wow, what a great night. Yeah, in a way, stem the tide after, I, I think, a very dicey report card. I mean, my goodness, look at oil and gas. My goodness, you are responsible for so much of it, as you admit to not drilling. You look at the broken border, our foreign policy, the exit from Afghanistan, uh, what's happening uh, what's happening with uh, China and the militarization of uh, all of a sudden our enemies are on steroids with Iran uh, selling weapons over to Russia and North Korea doing the same thing. Rich Lowry joins us now at our National Review. And then in 15 minutes, I'll get to your call. So stay aboard in the order in which you received. Rich, your take uh, on what the Republicans did and didn't do last night. Well, uh- I mean, the, the big thing is Democrats turned out, and to a significant extent, they defied gravity. I mean, the NBC poll from over the weekend had some good news for Democrats, but I thought the most important item in it was that Joe Biden's approval rating among independents was 28%. 28%. That's not survivable. That shouldn't be survivable. Then we had the exit polls, you know, big, big asterisk on exit polls are not entirely reliable, that had Democrats winning last night. Independence by one point, you know, so the party significantly overperformed their president, which just just doesn't happen in midterms or happens very rarely. So, uh, you know, basically candidate quality mattered. Um, 
and Republicans had a lot of weak candidates. I thought a wave was, as we talked about a lot, would, would bring almost all of them in anyway, but it wasn't a wave, so the candidate quality mattered more than I, I would have thought. And then, you know, the, this kind of mix of issues that I just didn't think was that important compared to inflation and the economy of abortion, democracy, Trump, it, at the very least, it was enough to get their people out and, and make make it more sort of a, a normal election where the specific flaws of Republican candidates could be highlighted. You know, it mattered that Oz was from New Jersey more than Fetterman had um, a stroke and, it, you know, et cetera. We saw that repeated ac- across the map. You know, Herschel Herschel's going to hopefully get in a runoff here. But, you know, if, if he were less flawed or is a more just standard Republican, would won easily, easily an environment where Brian Kemp is winning by nine points. So uh, there's a lot to chew on, but that's my initial take. Well, and then we're going to find out if it, the balance uh, – well, we'll see what the balance has to happen. If something's going on in Arizona. I'm not really sure. That Maricopa County problem is an issue. The voting machines is an issue. I'm not saying it turned anyone's election, but the fact is they still can't count. We're 24 mm-hmm. hours later. We still don't have yep. a result. Carrie Lake, when I got up today, I'm up at 3. I'm in the building at 350. Carrie Lake's trailing by 12. They close it down. She's basically trailing by percentage points now. Mm-hmm. Kind of surprised me. I thought she'd win uh, relatively easily. Yep. I thought Blake Masters have a hard time. Now I think it's a four or five point lead. Masters trails uh, Mark Kelly, one of the worst campaigners I've ever seen, who's the least productive senator I can imagine, with an unbelievable resume. Here's, uh, but so your thoughts on Arizona? Well, I thought Carrie Lake would would win pretty handily. I mean, she's obviously a, a rock star, um, but maybe it wasn't such a great idea to to spend the the last week campaigning with with Steve Bannon. Um, you know, the, the whole point there should be to to moderate. And she she and a lot of you know uh, she did a rally with Tulsi Gabbard. She didn't talk about 2020 at all. You know, it's all practical issues, and I think that would have been the the natural play. She didn't do that, and just. You know the environment is not quite as favorable to Republicans almost uh, all over the map, except for obviously Florida and the G- Georgia gubernatorial race. And there you have two governors, and they're able to create identities that are separate from the Republican brand to a significant extent. They're both really competent uh, people, Kemp and, and they, they both had some separation from uh, Trump, Kemp and DeSantis, and and they they could do that, but a lot of other people around the map couldn't. Myra Flores, who is the the rock star, uh, born in Mexico, husband's a Border Patrol agent. They redistrict her after she won her special election, and uh, she is pretty angry. Uh, and she says uh, – she let him have it. She says um, – Myra Flores basically said um, uh, she was – here it is. The independents stayed home. Do not complain about the – the Republicans and independents stayed home. Do not complain about the results if you did not – uh, do your part. So she's angry because she can't believe that she would lose on a border that uh, uh, representing a town that's been totally overwhelmed mm-hmm. by illegal immigrants. Either can I, be, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Well, it's it always clear she's going to have a tougher time than she did in the special election just because of the new lines of the district. I'm not sure, you know. It's going to take Gonzalez beater. Yeah, so you know, Republican turnout was pretty good. It's just D- Democrat turnout was a, was a little better, and the coalition they put together in eighteen and twenty frayed, but it held. And you can see a new Republican coalition aborning. You know, we we saw hints of it in twenty twenty with Trump's overperformance among Latino and Black men. You see it in a big way in Florida. That you know, the question is, can can you replicate that uh, more around the country? And if you can, you know, you you get a majority and you can win big in twenty twenty four. But uh, there's a lot of a lot of time and events between now and then. 
One of the most miraculous stories is what happened to Florida. You watch Ron DeSantis dominate, and Marco Rubio almost as dominant. Here's Marco. Here's a cut from Marco Rubio last night, cut 15. After tonight, the Republican Party will never be the same, and that's a great thing for America and a great thing for Republicans. It'll never be the same because this is a party made up of people from every color, every race, every ethnicity, men and women. Yes, men and women, that exists. And you know what we call people who are black and white and Hispanic and Asian and are men and are women and come from other countries? You know what we call them in Florida? We call them Americans. And the Hispanic vote, though, right. just to break it up, and that's a very good speech. He's, he's an excellent speaker. But, uh, but just to, the fact is the Hispanic vote Miami-Dade went to Ron DeSantis. Uh, mm-hmm. And it basically earned it. It's not, wow, what a marketing campaign. What a great picture of an Hispanic leader in Ron DeSantis. It was, here's four years. I'm taking on Disney. I'm taking on the pandemic. I'm taking on Washington. I'm taking on 60 Minutes. Uh, I'll go and, and handle uh, Hurricane Ian. I'll handle distribution of the vaccine. So basically it says, okay, this is what I did. This is what you do at work in the real world. How did I do? Take a look. Not how slick I am, how good I look, rolling up my sleeves, look like you're helping out. Uh, he, he actually did it. And I think the same thing with Kemp. That's the main difference. Both yep. barely won four years ago. Yeah, but, but the, the, the lesson is not that you can't be combative. Um, Kemp stood by that election law, you know, hit Major League Baseball hard, didn't give an inch, and just have a, a, a sterling conservative record. Obviously the same thing with DeSantis, but they're competent, and people trust them, and they have uh, shrewd political judgment, and there's no substitute for that. So the, the, a big question for the party going forward, is there now just something special in the water in Florida? You know, Florida is kind of like Alabama, so it's not a big deal to win there by 20 points. Or, you know, is there something that can be replicated uh, around the country that, that, you know, DeSantis and Rubio did? You know, probably a little a combination of both. But, you know, obviously, if you're a Republican and wants to win, you got to be really attracted to what Ron DeSantis pulled up. I was with David Fluff uh, last night doing some analysis, former Obama advisor, and he says the swing in Miami-Dade is the biggest swing uh, of any such county, the fastest swing of any such county Ever, you know, he he lost it handedly, DeSantis, in 2018 to a drug addict who was who was about to personally explode, you know, weeks after the campaign under, and, and under he, FBI he, investigation. Yeah, and, and then he just just uh, t- totally um, turned it around last night. So it's it's amazing, and and uh, uh, obviously people are going to be listening a lot to Ron DeSantis. There was already a lot of interest in him, but there's going to be even more after last night. So it's 200 to 174 right now. You need 218 to get the majority. I've, not many people, no one I've talked to doesn't think they're going to eventually get the majority. Maybe at some point today, it's at 48 48 uh, Republicans and uh, Democrats in the Senate. Uh, Laxalt in Nevada is supposed to win. He's up uh, by about three. Johnson's supposed to win. He's up by a point and a half. And then you have, I'm not sure what's happening in Arizona, but it would come down to Georgia, as we mentioned. I want to talk about New York, because New York could personally, uh, with income, hand the House to Republicans, because they flipped about five seats. Mm -hmm. And Lee Zeldin did such a great job uh, keeping to what is actually an issue, is crime and inflation. Here he is last night where it seems though he's down by about four right now. He has not conceded. Cut 21. Uh, we came to this with a uh, passion to have a, a debate of ideas for a better direction for New York. And we're still totally uh, committed towards seeing it through. Uh, for the 1.4 million 
Election Day voters who have not yet had their vote ca cast and counted. Uh, we hope that uh, as these results come in, that uh, we'll be able to prevail. So he did not give up uh, last night. And we got a text from him, and he said certain things you know, he felt good about last night, because, but certain things have to come out. But it's all about New York City. And it wasn't. And right now, forty-seven percent is about as good as any New Yorker could do. Yeah. What's your take, Rich Lowry? I mean, he ran a great campaign. He had an issue that has great resonance here here in New York, and, the, and that we all feel. Anyone who's in the city, any time, feels it's it's different. It's it, there's more disorder. It's a, uh, a a different and more threatening environment. But it's just hard to overcome the, the massive Democratic vote coming out of uh, New York. City, but you know it's always true if, if he was close that that meant the the tight congressional races Republicans were closer ahead, and that's proved out. So Zelding, you know, getting to four or, or five point loss is an extraordinary achievement that is not unfortunately going to change the trajectory of the state, but as you point out, may go a long way to delivering the House to Republicans. So where does uh, so if you look right now at the presidential race, the president's going to announce on Monday he wants people on the stage with him the former president, uh, on stage with him to say he's my guy from Lindsey Graham on down, uh, knowing that the cover of the New York Post today says basically Ron DeSantis is the man. Uh, mm -hmm. And the you see, what, and see everything you – people listening to exactly what you said in the future. He's 44 years old. What are your thoughts about how that plays out? Well, first of all, I, I, I hope people, Lindsay, others, prevail on Trump not to announce uh, next week because it's very likely there's going to be a runoff in Georgia that you know is the, the whole uh, tamale and the, the for Senate control and just Trump be, being front and center is not going to be helpful. You know, so so if, wait a month. You know, just just please wait a month. So I hope people prevail on him there. And I just think, you know, there there is um, he's, he's still a huge formidable figure, but last night was not good for him. It was not good for him. He His hand-picked candidates did not do well. Even when they won, they underperformed, and th there is um, – right. I, I think last night was a vote for Republican normality and less chaos. Again, you're looking at Kemp and DeSantis. doesn't mean you have to be a wimp. You shouldn't be a wimp, but you, you have to be uh, competent and appealing to the middle, and um, that, that's where I think Trump falls down. Rich, for exciting time. I know you do a lot of politics, and you have all this experience, and you're a historian in your own right, but this is very unique time in American politics, and we're still waiting, sadly, uh, almost a full day after the polls had opened for winners uh, around the country, and the same state's giving us the same problem. Rich Lowry, thanks so much. Hey, thanks so much, Brian. All right, when we come back, I'll take your calls. I see you out there from Georgia to Kansas to Pennsylvania to Orlando to Michigan to York, Pennsylvania, and uh, this is the and Virginia Beach. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The Brian Kilmeade Show, sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. More of the Brian Kilmeade Show coming up. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We were all disappointed looking at the bigger picture. You know, what happened? We're yeah. supposed to be great victories all over the country. And part of the problem, uh, I don't think there's any question in my mind, that hurt Republicans all over, is Donald Trump. I would say to the former president, who I supported and did great things during his term, I would say to him, 
move on, move on. And when you, I mean, a couple of days before the election, he tells the country he has a major announcement. Donald Trump, it was not about you. It was about the candidates that were running and you took away from them. There's no question that he hurt candidates all over the country. And I would say to Donald Trump, on November 15th, you're going to make a major announcement. I would advise you, and I have great respect for you and things that you accomplished. I would advise you to announce to the country that DeSantis is the one that we should support so that we can win the White House in 2024. Donald Trump, you had your opportunity. You hurt your party that you love, your country in this election. So Donald Trump, move on. That is uh, Dove Highkind, uh, who was a Democrat a lifelong Democrat who voted for Zeldin, and as you just heard, voted for Trump. Leonard, listening in Georgia. Hey, Leonard. How you doing? Hey, Brian. Thanks for taking the call, man. I love your show. Thank you. Um, I'm in Georgia. I I, uh, I feel like my team is in, uh, I don't know, rain delay right now. We're tied. I don't feel great about, you know, everything that's going on here as far as, you know. I, I'm happy with Kemp, obviously, but uh, Herschel, I don't think he's going to do it, man. I just you know, don't so think in a runoff, in a runoff, you don't think he'll win? No, I, he's got my vote 100 percent. But no, I honestly don't think he'll win. I really don't. All right. Leonard, Living thank you. here and knowing that, I don't think so. Hey, you know what else, though? I think um, the pollsters caused a lot of conservatives to pump the brakes and not vote. I think that was a problem. I'm tired of hearing all this red wave and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I, I wish they would stop with that stuff and let everybody, you know, vote, do what they're going to do, not say, oh, it's comfortable. You don't have to worry about voting. You know, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Thanks for the call. Kevin in Virginia. Hey, Kevin. Hey, good morning, Brian. Say, you guys, at Fox News, we're all about fair and balanced, and I wanted to give my fair and balanced uh, 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 objection to what Rich Lowry had to say. Seventy percent of the Republican Party ardently support President Trump. That's 55 million people. In in the last primary season, 16 million people total voted. Trump has enough votes in the pocket, people who just can't wait to come out and vote for him, to lap the field three or four times. You mean in a primary? Yes, in the primary. Well, when was it, after DeSantis ran like this, are you thinking to yourself, Trump is the best pick or DeSantis? Well, DeSantis is unproven outside of Florida, and I think Trump actually might have helped him. Do you remember Bob Dole many years ago said, uh, I'll campaign for you or against you, whichever helps you the most? I think Trump's little sanctimonious actually might have drawn more people to DeSantis. He might have helped him with that. I don't know if it was on purpose or accidental. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, you're firmly in the Trump camp. I understand that. Uh, can Trump win the general? If he can win the primary, as, is he going to change tactics to open up the camp? Because 38% is not going to get you the victory. John, listening on WABC in New Jersey. Hey, John. Good morning. I, I, I disagree with you. Everybody, the gentleman before just said DeSantis is unproven. If you look at Donald Trump's track record, I don't even know how you compare the two. Donald Trump was the most successful president in 50 years. And on top of that, he's a lightning rod for the entire party. He takes all the hits. If you don't think there's a Chrissy Blasey Ford waiting for DeSantis, you haven't been watching what's been going on. All right. Thank, Thank you. I understand uh, Bruce WSD, WSB. Bruce, what's on your mind, Bruce? Thank you for taking my call. Um, I met um, Scott Perry many times. I, I voted for him. I worked very hard. Hundreds and hundreds of houses I've hit. I polled a lot of people. Who, who um, did you meet? I'm sorry, who? Scott Perry. He won. Okay? Okay. He won two and a half 
to, to one in this area of York County to beat out the person from Harrisburg. Now, here's the point of my call. Two things. One. Got to be one. Just tell me one quick. Okay. Um, the one thing is that. <clears throat> Thanks for listening. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, one 866 One day after Election Day, and of course, we don't have all the results in from key states. Well, we're getting used to that. We're kind of going backwards on the election process, but I'd have to say, for the most part, outside Maricopa County and some problems they admit they had with the machines, snow hitting in Nevada, which they had to shut down uh, some voting stations early. Uh, they also, in Pennsylvania, had some problems, but did extend the time in which people could vote. So besides that, I understand that 50 states, uh, all these uh, small and big counties, I understand there's going to be issues, but I just don't understand why it takes everyone. We're just used to having a voting week to get results. As of this moment, we do not know how, who's in control of the House, but we expect it's going to be Republicans. And we do not know who's in control of the Senate as we wait on four races. We have to wait on Nevada, Wisconsin, Arizona, and you guessed it, Georgia. With us right now, somebody who won uh, his race with very little problem, Brad Raffensperger, uh, the Georgia Secretary of State, uh, as did the governor. Governor Brian Kemp won big this time in the rematch with Stacey Abrams. They really won up and down the ticket. The one that's uh, going to a runoff, it looks like Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock. Brad Raffensperger, welcome to the show. Morning, Brian. Hey, Brad, what do you think about your victory? Not unexpected. How does it feel? Feels great. Uh, Won by nearly 10%. Points and uh, over 350,000 vote totals. So, uh, strong victory. But uh, today, like you said, uh, we're getting prepared for a runoff in uh, one month. So, uh, it's going to happen quick here. And we think all eyes will probably be on Georgia just looking at what's happening nationwide. But yeah. we'll be ready here. Yeah, I see you beat, uh, being a guy in. Um, so, there you go. So, um, that was your challenger. So uh, four years ago, there was so much controversy around Stacey Abrams refusing to really concede the race, saying that you guys uh, unlawfully did what you did for them to win. And then the controversy uh, that happened two years ago. Uh, what changed in those two years? There was, I don't really see anyone complaining now about the results. Well, in 2018, Stacey Abrams, Abrams lost by 55,000 votes, didn't concede, then filed a lawsuit through Fair Fight. Uh, we finally beat that in court, uh, and then she never appealed. So she just realized that we had all the facts on our side. Uh, and then, obviously, she got beat even worse this time by 350,000 votes. Uh, so I think she's done, and she can go off and do whatever she's going to do. But uh, we've had honest and fair elections. Then in 2020, uh, we had the president. He lost by a very close margin, and it was what it was. But we've been pushing back. But yesterday, we had an average of an average uh, line time of two minutes. And then to get in the checkout or check-in was 47 seconds for average check-in time. Uh, we just didn't have lines anywhere in the state of Georgia. We didn't have any major issues. And then we had one server went down in Stevens County. So the Georgia State Patrol uh, put that uh, replacement server on their helicopter, flew it up there. Uh, and so we had the, you know everyone working together to have a smooth 
fair, honest election for all of my uh, Georgians. Yeah, and it was uh, and it was decisive. So we'll see what happens. Stacey Abrams now, it's hard to complain. She did complain before the election that black, uh, black Georgians were being fed disinformation. You've heard that. What's your, what's your answer to that? We, we treat everyone the same. Uh, we have photo ID for everyone. We have photo ID for all forms of voting. And we have photo ID now for absentee voting. It's a mo- we modeled it after Minnesota law. They've been using it 10 years. We've been sued by Democrats and Republicans over photo ID or by a signature match. So we went to photo ID. It's secure and gives people confidence in the process. And we had good turnout yesterday. Uh, about 1.4 million people showed up to vote. Uh, it's just and we didn't have crazy lines. Uh, we, we made the counties keep lines shorter than one hour. And they came through, you know, with just, you know, flying colors. So we, we see that you extended in Cobb County two voting precincts. You extended uh, voting hours after delays uh, opening up. Is that correct? Yeah. After uh, having 2,500 precincts, we had six, I believe, it was six precincts that had to stay late. But six out of 2,500. And that's uh, that's just an average normal election. Not every county gets it right. Not every precinct gets it exactly right. But those are minor issues in the overall scheme of things. But we were putting up results quickly. We know who won the races here in Georgia. We know who's in a runoff. Uh, so some of these other states are still struggling. We, we were actually the model from Heritage Foundation, number one for election integrity. And then on the left side, the Center for Election Innovation Research gave us high marks for accessibility. We're hitting the right notes at the right time, and people are having safe, secure, honest elections here in Georgia. So you must be looking at this puzzle uh, coming together on the Senate side and say, here we go again, because it looks like Glassalt's going to hold on in Nevada right now, Johnson hold on in Wisconsin, and then you have that's 50-48 Republicans, and then you have it looks as though Kelly is holding on against Masters, but we don't know what's happening in Arizona. They seem to be a mess and Carrie Lake neck and neck in, um, uh, for the governor's mansion. So just asking you now, it looks like Warnock has about a half a point lead on Herschel. Is there any indications that Warnock has the ability to go over 50 percent before everything's canceled? Uh, right now we have less than 20,000 total uh, votes still out to be counted. That's not enough to change the race. So uh, this is headed for a runoff. So is that official? Uh, I guess it is because we know the numbers. And so uh, I don't think the campaigns have said that, but we know the numbers. Less than 20,000 left to go. So neither candidate will get over the 50 percent threshold. So it is headed for a runoff. So just for the, be- for the layman's, Brad, we now go goodbye to the libertarian candidate. What did the libertarian yeah. get at last look? Do you remember 1.2, oh, I- was it? Uh, yeah, it's about one one percent, something like that. So it's the top two vote getters move forward, and so that'll be Tuesday, December sixth. You're a Republican, and I'm just going to tell you the conventional wisdom that uh, the president, the current president, is very unpopular in Georgia. If they know the power of the Senate's at stake, who would that benefit? Textbook in the past in a runoff. Well, uh, putting on a campaign hat, I would say that I think that elections are about the future and they're not about the past. And it's really being able to cast a vision. Where do you where do you see you want to take the state of Georgia? What do, what do you want? What is your plan? So it's really looking forward and looking upward. Uh, it's not really looking past, about you know, uh, personal grievances. So I think the uh, person that's really going to stand up for Georgians and what's uh, what's going to help and what's going to be the best thing for my pocketbook issues or what can you do to help you know move the, our country mm-hmm. forward because as a u.s senator it's national issues and it's also state issues and so whoever can cast that vision about the future and unifying people that'll be the person that does well 
Well, that's true. Uh, but also people say, wow, do I want to give the power, the party in power, uh, do I, the, the, uh, the executive what? branch, do I want to give them the Senate or not? I mean, that's how important this vote is. Uh, and Absolutely. that's why. And these guys go back at it right away. Correct. Yeah. And I guess putting on my I, taking off my secretary of state hat, put on my campaign hat. Republicans that typically do very well in runoffs. And so, uh, you know, we'll make sure uh, that as secretary of state, we're going to have a fair and honest election. But uh, Republicans historically do very well in runoffs. So, so turning out the vote in a very short period of time. So your buddy, Brian Kemp, wins substantially on, yeah. on service. It seems like he could be a huge asset for Herschel Walker. Absolutely. Uh, people really trust and uh, I'd say love our governor. Uh, he's done a great job in a very difficult circumstance, but we have the lowest unemployment in the country. Uh, you know, economic development is just busting out of the seams. And so um, he's got uh, really strong coattails. So one thing I saw that do, do you project another debate in these three weeks? Well, that's a campaign question, and I don't get into that, but uh, they'll decide that. But it's it's uh, got Thanksgiving coming up, the early voting for one week uh, right after that, and then obviously the next Tuesday will be Election Day. But uh, all eyes will probably be on Georgia again, but I can guarantee you we're going to have a fair and honest election. Yeah, and uh, do, you, do you welcome the scrutiny? Do you welcome this runoff opportunity? Oh, hey, I don't, I'm not a – I'm proud of our team. Like I said – we had uh, two-minute wait times, and we were checking people in in 47 seconds. So you can, you know, kick the tires, look underneath the hood. We got it going on here, uh, and we're the really the model for election integrity, and we're the model for making sure we have accessibility. Brad, can you give us an idea? You might not have it in front of you, but maybe you can get it on who voted when. For example, I heard that Herschel only got about eight percent of the black vote. Heard the independent vote went slightly to Democrats nationally. What about in Georgia? Well, uh, we're just digging into that, but all that'll be is public record of you know people's voting histories and uh, the vote totals and uh, the, the great uh, prognosticators and uh, consultants that you get on Fox News. They'll they'll go ahead and give you all that. <laughs> Give a day or two to pull that all together. All right, good. We'll have you back. Uh, Brad Raffensperger, thanks so much. Congratulations on another victory. And for all the Republicans in Georgia, it was a big day for you guys. Yes, it was. Thanks. All right, go get him, Brad. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk to – we're going to take your calls. But in fact, I'll squeeze one in now. Chris, listen on WDBO in Orlando. Hey, Chris. Hey, Brian. How are you? Chris, what's your hey. analysis of, of how things – it was not a wave, and you think abortion is one of the reasons? Absolutely. We're losing uh, independent and moderate Democrat votes. In the state of Florida, Ron DeSantis in our state legislation about a year ago basically passed – the same legislation that Lindsey Graham tried to pass uh, in the Senate. And uh, I think that if I could sit Mitch McConnell down and say, Mitch, you know, I can still be pro-life and accept pro-choice. We've got to stop saying abortion as Republicans anyways. To a certain point with limitations, we would get the votes we need to finally secure our border. You know, I think, I think the conservative Republicans, and I am one, I am one. I can believe in God and believe in, in life, and I can accept a woman's choice with limitations. If we could get on the same page, if Herschel Walker took that approach, I bet he wins. We'll find out over the next three weeks. It's hard to imagine him taking a different position uh, in, the ba- in this runoff, but we'll see. Uh, when we come back, I'll take some more calls. Then welcome in Martha McCallum. She's fresh off our coverage last night. She's going to get back into it today. And guess what? As of right now, 
we still, even though the Republicans have 200 confirmed seats, Democrats 174, Democrats 48 Senate seats, Republicans 48. I cannot tell you who has the power in Congress in 2023. You are listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. In reality, Americans have been voting for many years now. They've been voting with their feet. And the results of that behavior has been just as stark as our landslide victory today. States and cities governed by leftist politicians have seen crime skyrocket. They've seen their taxpayers abused. They've seen medical authoritarianism imposed and they've seen American principles discarded. And that was uh, Governor DeSantis. Well-scripted speech. He was uh, was fired up. So was the crowd. So was his uh, everything. He brought his three uh, little kids out there. His wife is always poised and ready to go. It looks like Governor DeSantis, a decisive victory. And what makes it so unusual is he didn't do it in Oklahoma or Nebraska. He did it in a state that Martha McCallum usually keeps us in the past uh, up for weeks trying to count the ballots, flabbergasted that they still don't have it down, wondering about the hanging chads. And now, for the last two elections at least, Florida has led the nation in efficiency. And now he's a decisive win. Uh, before we talk about all the other things that are in the balance, can you put in perspective what Governor DeSantis did last night and Marco Rubio and the rest of the state? Yeah, I mean, I think Florida is an extraordinary story, especially given the fact that when we looked at what we were going to learn early in the night, we looked at it as a kind of a roadmap for what would happen across the country. But it was almost like Florida was this independent red, red island that had very different dynamics than the rest of the country. Uh, He won in Hispanic vote. He won in a huge way in Miami-Dade, where he had lost in his first race as governor. You know, I think that Ron DeSantis is an example of bold, fearless. He's fearless as as a political leader, and it has served him extraordinarily well. So I think that, you know, when you look at the Cover of the New York Post this morning. It says "de future," um, very different message than "de sanctimonious." And so, obviously, on the drama level, watching what happens between DeSantis and Trump at this point is going to be quite an interesting story. So, right now, we're just looking at the tally: two hundred and one seats now to one seventy-four for Republicans. When Kevin McCarthy came out, you were gone. It was one o'clock in the morning. No, I was there. Well, you were. Still I was there until two o five. We waited for McCarthy, and then we were. Then we handed it off to Trace. He gave a speech like he had the house ready. I thought it was premature. I don't know what your analysis is, but I thought it was, uh, listen, just pull back. We hope to win. This is what we're going to do. But now I hear about a threat to his possible speakership. Did that play into it at all? And does it see, have you heard anybody of note say Republicans not going to have the house? I think the confidence is still that the Republicans will win the House. It looks that way in these races, but you're right. It's never over until it's over. We're at 201 red, 174 blue at this moment as you and I talk. Um, I think that there was a feeling that Kevin McCarthy had to come out and talk last night, and I think he wanted to make it a positive message, and I think he based it on the fact that he thinks that's where this is going, although 
obviously it was a very, very tough night for him. I mean, he is one of the most energetic politicians you will find. He has spent the last two years recruiting candidates from very diverse backgrounds all over the country. He said, you know, I remember, you know, years back when the speakers when the speaker got up there and the Republicans stood up on the left hand side of the of the house and it was it was all old white guys and set out to change that picture, to change the reflection of, of the party and uh, had a really, really difficult night. And I, I also think, you know, we've learned a lot about polling um, and pundits and they did not have their pulse on what happened last night at all. The Fox News voter analysis was was pretty right on that we got yesterday afternoon. So some people that way off. Uh, Joe O'Day was not close in no. Colorado. Uh, number two, Chris Christie came out he on Sunday. He said he was going to win. Yeah. And then we I mean, had was his gut Don Balduck with one, with one point away. Don yeah. Balduck got crushed. And then uh, Oz lost. I mean, there was not even a controversy there. So a four-point victory for uh, Fetterman. So that's a bit of a surprise. Mastriano was supposed to get crushed. In Oregon, a Republican was supposed to, to become – Drazen was supposed governor. to win uh, the governorship. And right now uh, she's trailing by a point or two. So that, yeah. that didn't – so I understand that one. But for the most part, the red wave never materialized. No, it didn't. And I think you can kind of go state by state and look at what happened there. Um, Mastriano was, you know, just just on an objective basis, a, a bad candidate. He didn't campaign. So that makes you didn't raise money, a, bad didn't campa- a, a bad candidate, right? Um, and I think that he was really a big weight on Oz. And Oz did, I, th- I think, everything he could do. He pulled himself up by 18 points in the last six weeks. He worked hard, worked across the state. He got labeled as an outsider, and it stuck for him. And sometimes it doesn't stick for people, but it did for him. Well, the other thing is, <clears throat> bless you, and the, the other thing that I find in, infuriating is that you had a guy who won who doesn't like fracking and is pro-criminal and just totally changed his mind. It didn't ever say, I've changed my mind. No. So he ran – Tim Ryan ran like a Republican. He lost. Right, but but Fetterman won because he and he changed all his issues to win. Congratulations, Pennsylvania! You got a guy that's a total fraud, in my opinion. It, you know, and this is why I, I think it's stunning what happened with John Fetterman, and I think it's probably the race that most Republicans wake up this morning and feel uneasy about in a major way because he had a. It, there's never been such a, a adult performance in a debate that I can remember, right? And he's going to be a United States Senator. I mean, I wish him well, health-wise. I think everybody always has. But it, it's it's a big stunner. When you call Dr. Oz a fraud and he's an elite surgeon and you run on that, I lost. he lost my compassion right there. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we're back. I just have a Martha McCallum's here. Uh, Martha, I just got to tell you, if you're looking to hang out this weekend, uh, I'm not going to be around. I'm going to be in. Uh, what am I going to do? Probably nothing. Probably <laughs> t- that's why I got your cable television. Um, Brandon, Mississippi, I'm going to be there. You're not going to be there, are you? Uh, in Brandon this weekend, no. No, you're not, yeah. I do I'm like Brandon. And then I'm going to Tulsa. I've never been there, but I'm excited. Then I'm going to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and then going to Oklahoma City. Just go to briankillme.com. I'm going on stage talking about all the books, live audience. It is going to be a lot of fun. And it's uh, co-sponsored by Fox Nation. 
And one of these is going to be uh, streamed live. I think it's going to be the December 2nd one in Newark, New Jersey. Cool. So go to uh, Brian right, Kilmeade.com. Where are you going to be in Newark, New Jersey? Maybe I'll come see that. Uh, NJPAC, the New Jersey Performing Arts Center, right? Great place. Is it? It's is a wonderful it place. You've never I been hear there? great things about it. Because you're from Long Island. People from Long Island don't go to New Jersey no, and vice well, versa. Well, because we were involved in sports. Every weekend, evidently, there's not in good there's not good enough teams for youth sports to play in Long Island. We have to drive to Jersey every weekend oh. and play. And, and you probably had a lacrosse. You weren't coming to Long Island oh, all the time. All the time. Yeah. All the time. I was going to New Jersey exactly. to play soccer. That's true for sports. Absolutely right. So I was always going to New Jersey. So it's gonna, <laughs> that's going to be fun. That's December second. And um, so just go to BrianKillMe.com. Uh, for the president of Freedom Fighters now, Adam Paperback. So Martha, last night you left the air at what time? About 2.10 in the morning. So far, a couple of things were going on. We know about the problem in Maricopa County. The decision not to extend the hours when they had the problem, I thought it was very different than in Pennsylvania. In Georgia, they extended the hours. And Houston, uh, they did too. As yeah. Well. yeah. So why wouldn't you extend the hours? It's not it's our decision. It's a great decision. question. I mean, just, I mean, just be smart about it. Especially given what they went through in 2020. Why wouldn't you say, well, just leave everything open for two more hours. It's no big deal. Right. You know, you, you want to have uh, a very clear, um, forward-looking plan to make sure that everyone feels like they had an opportunity to vote I, I mean, on Election Day. Right. So uh, Georgia doesn't really – they had a few problems, but they handled it. There's really no complaints. Even Stacey Abrams conceded. So that's interesting. But if you look at Herschel Walker and, and Warnock, do you look at – this race and the difference in the, the Kemp win substantially. Now they're in a runoff. We just heard from Brad Raffensperger. It's official. That means we have to wait till December 2nd to find out who wins Georgia six, and possibly yeah. the six, excuse me, and possibly who uh, who has control of the Senate. Do you say as a lot of people voted for Kemp because they didn't like Graham, because they didn't like Stacey Abrams? Or do you think a lot of people went down and split the ticket because they, they couldn't decide between Warnock and Walker? Did Walker lose votes or did... The Kemp gained votes. You know, it's, it's an interesting question. You can also look at it from the other side. You know, I think that Abrams was also a bit of a drag on Warnock, um, which was a problem for him. So in this case, you didn't have that kind of down ticket support that I think would have would have helped him. I think there were a lot of questions about about Herschel Walker as a candidate um, from the very beginning. I think Kemp sort of has carved out his own very interesting lane in a in a sort of DeSantis ish way. Impervious to Trump attacks, absolutely. And you know, I always think his answer is very interesting on the former president. He'll he'll always say, you know, I like him. Apparently, he doesn't like me, but that's okay. You know, I'm just going to keep doing my thing. And Kemp has been. I, I think it's a very interesting example. Kemp has been uh, his own man, like Glenn Youngkin has been his own man, and he was very early to reopen Georgia during COVID and uh, had a lot of you know took a lot of courage to do that. So I think that in the governor race, people like that kind of stability. They feel like they have a strong leader, and they stuck with Kemp. I think people, in a way that we don't normally see, made different decisions up and right. down the ticket. And listen, you go knee deep into politics more than me. When I saw Tim Ryan totally make up that he's this this beer drinking moderate who took on the president when he never did, and then when you see Fetterman come out and say, "Yeah, I was never against fracking," when we have him on tape being against mm-hmm. fracking and proud that he was the first, and now he's pro criminal, now he's uh, pro law and order. Also with Warnock, he's he's portraying himself as a as a moderate re, uh, Democrat to, almost to govern a leftist president when we know that he was. He was voting with the president every single time. And we know exactly who wasn't voting with the president. It wasn't even Angus King, an independent. It was 
Kristen right. Cinema and Joe Manchin. Besides that, that should have been so easy to define. Know. You know, I, I mean, right? We did a, a town hall, which I thought was a really interesting night with JD Vance and Tim Ryan. It was one of the only events good. where you had both candidates, right? This is this is what's completely missing from this entire cycle. There were so few debates, so few opportunities for people to actually watch both candidates right. do their thing on, on, on a stage, which I think is, is really hurts democracy in a big way. Talk it about does. hurting democracy. We need to get these candidates in front of people and ask them questions. Um, but he thought we were too tough on him and too easy on Vance in, during the town hall. He said that in a, in a subsequent interview. The problem is that he, as a longtime congressman, had a, has a record Right. He has a voting record. He's been in office. So it's just by nature of that a little bit different because there are things to hold him to. He's had positions that he's changed. Um, And so that, I I think, was a very legitimate line of questioning with him. Um, And and it is a little different when you have someone like J.D. Vance, who is an author and a finance guy who doesn't have that kind of record to be questioned on. Now he will. Now he's going to be a United States senator. So it'll be different for him next time around. But, yeah, you know, everybody always tries to move their position to meet the voters where they are. And uh, it's often transparent that way. The other issue that I think had a big impact last night is abortion. Um, I, I think that grassroots liberal turnout was fed by that issue in a way that Republicans were caught off guard by. And I think that uh, they need to think about that going forward. So when people were looking and the other channels couldn't wait to do this is say that Donald Trump was the loser. They said because Mastriano, because Blake Masters doesn't look like he's going to prevail, that Bullduck, who was a late – he was a late endorser. Uh, he got a late endorsement from President Trump – who else did who could you point to? Dr. Well, President Oz. Trump endorsed him when it started to look like Baldick maybe had a chance. Right, Mo- like last Monday, I think it was October thirty yeah. first. So, yeah. so they said. So, I want you to hear what uh, with, uh, Jonathan Carl said. Cut six. Big picture. I can't tell you if the Republicans ultimately are going to win the Senate. They might. I can't tell you if they're likely to win uh, the House. It sure looks like they they, they could. Uh, but what I can tell you is the biggest loser tonight is Donald Trump. Uh, his candidates, his hand-picked candidates, lost in states Republicans thought they could win. In New Hampshire with Baldick, in Pennsylvania with Mastriano. Uh, the fact that you have uh, his hand-picked candidates for Senate in Pennsylvania, uh, Oz, in Georgia, Herschel Walker, you know, both, you know, struggling. Uh, you know, they, again, we, we don't know what the results are there, but these were states Republicans thought they were going to be able to flip. What do you think? Is that an overstatement by a guy that likes selling books about Donald Trump? Well, to a certain extent, it probably is. Um, you know, on the face of the of the facts that he lays down in terms of wins and losses and support, uh, those are those are true. Mm-hmm. Those are true. He put it. He put his support behind those candidates, and they lost um, this morning. It looks like Masters is not going to prevail. We know that Oz has lost, um, and. That was that statement was prior to that, and, and we know that Walker out, you, is going you to just a told runoff. Me, just for for everyone knows, Martha McCallum just told me too that there's a lot of votes left in Arizona. Yeah, they're, very, well, they're counting very. They're slow. counting very slowly. You know, an hour and a half ago, there were three hundred thousand votes left. You got a big chunk out still out in Maricopa County. So, um, Carrie Lake could pull it out. It's pretty tight that governor's race right now. So if she does prevail there, then that would be a win. That you'd have to put that in the column of of a win for. Uh, support by President Trump. So here's what Trump put on Truth Social. 
174 wins and nine losses, a great evening. And the fake news media, together with their partner in crime, the Democrats, are doing everything possible to play it down. Amazing job by some really fantastic candidates. He also said Don Baldick was a very nice guy, but he lost tonight when he disavowed after big primary win his longstanding stance on election fraud into 2020. Uh, had he stayed with that strong, strong and true, he would have won. Mm-hmm. There's no way he would have won. If he stayed with the 2020 rhetoric, yeah, the, that's the, not going to everyone in New that, Hampshire. You know, the other thing that's interesting, just, you know, watching reaction to it that doesn't appear to have worn well for the former president are the comments that he made about announcing his own uh, desire to run in the last three days um, and saying that maybe that would happen at rallies that he was doing for J.D. Vance and the sanctimonious comment. When you look across some of the response to that and the reaction to that, um, it, it doesn't appear to have worn well. It was it was probably not a, a smart move on his part. It probably wasn't. Uh, we'll see what else. Uh, we're still waiting to find out. 201 to 174 and then 4848. Uh, one more segment with Martha McHale. Martha, what are you going to have on your show? We're going to talk to Ronna McDaniel uh, and get her take on what happened last night. Also, Ben Carson is going to talk to us about Georgia and what we can expect in the Georgia race. He had uh, been on the campaign trail with Herschel Walker, so now we know that that's going to go to a runoff. Kellyanne Conway, tireless Kellyanne Conway, is going to join us um, with Joe Concha and Doug Schoen with sort of a look back at uh, last night and a look ahead at what it all means. And we're going to talk about Ukraine as well, where there have been some pretty big developments today as Russia pulls out of Kherson. Mike Pompeo will join us. So good you said Kherson, because I say it, I thought it was the last one. I guess we're supposed to leave the K silent or something. Her I'm son? Not sure. Yeah, but then again, I'm not Ukrainian, so why should I pretend that I'm Ukrainian? <laughs> the other thing is, it's got um, with the, on Ukraine, they just got a sophisticated missile system in from us and Norway combined. They said it's going to be acting uh, automatically, for lack of a better term, to knock these drones and uh, airplanes out of the sky, which is pretty amazing. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This idea that somehow, you know, Donald Trump is going to drive a whole bunch of people out of the race if he announces next week is just silliness, in my view, because anybody who wants to be president, if you if you're going to not get in because someone else announced, then you probably don't have what it takes to be president to begin with. So I think Chris is doing the right thing. He just won. He's not going to answer your question. Because he probably hasn't even talked to his wife about it yet, let alone talk to the people in New Hampshire who just sent them back. And, you know, we talked earlier about um, about Trump and what would happen tonight if some of the candidates he endorsed won and some of them lost. And, and I said to you, I predicted to you that he would take all the credit if they won and none of the blame if they lost. Here is his quote on TV tonight about tonight's results. Well, I think if they win, I should get all the credit. If they lose, I should not be blamed at all. Uh, he was he was kidding, Martha. Well, I I um, Britt Hume brought that up last night and and watched the video. He said, you know, he says it kind of sarcastically, like this is what everyone would expect me to say. So, ha, ha I'm going to say it. Yeah, right. So Chris Christie came out. He did predict that Joe O'Day was going to win, as you mentioned, and that was uh, talking about the fact is that he said, the President said, I don't think it would be a good time for Ron to run. There's a lot of things about him that he probably doesn't want to come out. So then Ron DeSantis went out and get this definitive victory, gives this rousing speech, but he did not mention uh, Trump, why would he? And Trump did not mention him while congratulating Marco Rubio. Martha McCallum getting set to take her show at three and then back to live uh, election coverage tonight. So your thought? 
on where we go from here, knowing that we still don't have, we don't know who's got the house in Senate no. yet. Uh, yeah, I'm watching this uh, come in as I think we get closer to, it looks like, I mean, there are people reporting that Ron Johnson has won in Wisconsin. We're watching Arizona and, and we're going to go to a runoff in, in Georgia. So the final numbers are obviously super close, much closer than anybody thought they were going to be and, uh, and not in yet. But as far as that goes, um, you know, President Trump has done every indication that he wants to run. And Ron DeSantis has been building a, a very strong backdrop for for a run of his own. And they they're uh, you know, it's a, this is America. They can both run. They can run against each other in the primary and we'll see what happens. But I think that uh, last night did make things a little more difficult for the former president and a little a lot easier probably for Ron DeSantis. Right. When, you know, if Pompeo runs against Mike Pence. Okay, maybe they'll point out something about when you were governor of Indiana, you did this or you did that. Okay, but this, you know, you don't run against Donald Trump and get threatened and not get attacked personally. And I think that when I read uh, Bill McGurn's column yesterday on Wall Street Journal, he said the Republican Party conservative base really feels as though just horrified as they watch everything that Trump was able to do just come apart. And the one thing they had is guys in power like Governor DeSantis pushing back on it effectively. Mm -hmm. The last thing they want is Trump to go after DeSantis. They can go at the Republicans, but not two guys after each other. They don't want to see it. Sentiment out there that someone sent me, you know, that said that when when they heard him go after DeSantis in a personal way like that, it gave them a pit in their stomach. And they said they had voted for Trump both times in both elections, but they didn't like it. So I want you to hear, and let's just fast forward to New York. Lee Zeldin went from 20 points down in August to 14 points down in September. It looks like he's trailing by three or four points now. He still thinks there's a million votes out there to count. Cut 21. Uh, we came to this with uh, passion to have a, a debate of ideas for a better direction for New York. And we're still totally uh, committed towards seeing it through uh, for the 1.4 million Election Day voters who have not yet had their vote cast and counted. uh, We hope that uh, as these results come in, that uh, we'll be able to prevail. It looks bleak, but one thing is, I think he deserves credit if he doesn't pull this out, which he doesn't look like he's going to. And Kathy Hochul, we declared her the winner, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Look at at what else happened in New York. It's amazing. Five seats could deliver the House That's right. for the Republican Party in New York. I mean, it's a point that needs to be made. Uh, if if New York delivers the majority in the House, that is a huge sea change. And this is one area where, where some of the pollsters kind of got it right. Uh, if Hochul does prevail by a small margin, that's exactly what they said would happen, that they would pick up four, maybe four of the six seats. It looks like five of the six seats uh, in New York and that. Zeldin would lose by a small one or two percentage, and and that may be what happens in New York. But one point that I would make is that some of the things that happen in elections happen incrementally, okay? We saw that happen in 2020, 14 seats picked up by by Republicans then. And so the headlines sometimes don't tell the story of what is moving behind the scenes. And when you have people as dug in as they are in this country right now, it doesn't move overnight. It moves in small increments. And I think that's the this sort of sub headline of what happened last night. So look below the headline and see some of these movements, and it's it's very interesting. So you said that some people are declaring Ron Johnson the winner in Wisconsin. Um, yeah. Yes, Politico did. Uh, we have not made that call yet, but um, others have. 
All right. And uh, one of those ones that did win is um, Mike Lawler yes. in New York. So it beats the congressional, the Democratic congressional chairperson, uh, Sean Patrick Murphy, I think it is. Maloney. Sean Maloney. Patrick Maloney. So he, he his job as a Democrat congressman is to sort of oversee their effort in Congress. So he, a lot of those people did really well. He did not. He's going to blame it on the fact that he got moved into what he calls a Trump district. He says, you know, I'm a gay man with a um, multiracial family, and I moved into a Trump district. He also he picked the district that he moved to. Yeah. He's the one who said this is going to be my district now because of redistricting. Pushed out Mondaire Jones, who was who had that seat, so he had to you know. Since okay, lost. sorry, I'm I'm out of my I'm, I'm out of my seat now. And Sean Patrick Maloney lost that that race. Looks like I think the way a lot of people thought a lot of races were going to look across the country, uh, but Mike Lawler did prevail there. And New York is a really interesting story. It didn't happen. It appears at the governor's level, but it happened in a big way in these congressional races. So and it was a- also precursored by the municipal races in Long Island that also went GOP last year. So you know. Now, that's what I mean about these incremental moves like that. Those signs were starting to come in Long Island and we saw them last night. Yeah. You also saw they lost the supermajority in the state house. Mm-hmm. Uh, Democrats that's were right. in total control. So that's going to change. Martha, you're on at three. And then what time do you, you and Brett go on again? On at three right now. We'll right, see. On three? Yep. We'll see if anything changes. OK. All right. So would you keep your cell phone on? I will. All right. Good. I will. Thank good you. to see you, Brian. Keep it here. Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.